Noche Galactica episode 16, Town Talk. In this episode, we had the chance to talk to Ghetto Son about growing up in Oakland, education, politics, racism, and hip-hop. Yo, Ghetto Son, how you feeling? I feel real good. It's an honor to be here. I, I appreciate you, you know what I'm saying, getting at me. Sure. I appreciate. I appreciate it. You know, we connected. I feel like it was organic. I feel like it just happened. You wanted. You wanted to hear more of my story, and I was like definitely diving in into wanting to hear your story. Uh, and you are a native of Oakland, Correct. right? Correct. Tell us a little bit about it. where you from. Where you from? What you represent? What town? You know? Hey, check it. I I, I don't want to set trip. You know, <laughs> I want to set trip. But I was definitely raised in Deep East Oakland, hey. and uh, definitely raised in that area around East Mile Mall, and. Um, yeah, that's what went to Oakland Public Schools K through 12. Played football for the Oakland Dynamites. Ooh. Ran track for the track for the West Side Kickers. Shout out all the town stuff, like okay. for legitimately from the town, for real, for real. Amazing, amazing. So take us through your journey, and and I want to take you back, back to the to the early days. If you can just take us back to like high school transition into college or so. So that was that was hard. I, it wasn't hard socially. Socially, I had a lot of fun. Mm. So, Socially, I did what I wanted to do. I went to Skyline High School, mm-hmm. first off, and uh, I got into Skyline. I want to just briefly talk about my junior high school experience, um, especially if you have a lot of youngsters listening. I went to a junior high school called King of States Junior High School, mm. and King of States Junior High School was, for lack of a better term, it was hyphy. We going to keep it town. Hey. It was hyphy. It was, um, there was a lot of, there was, there was love there. Um, I don't want to paint it negative, but like structurally and as far as like um, the system of it was really broken down. It was um, the stereotypical inner city school, whereas we had a lot of young students with a lot of energy mm. and no one to really harness that energy on a consistent basis. And so it just we just defected. We defected into drugs. We defected into lots of violence and lots of fights. We deflected into a lot of gambling happening on school premises. If anyone's familiar with the area, it is up. If you're familiar with 82nd Avenue, it's kind of like up that hill, like mm, around yeah, up Fontaine. Yeah. And that area is right behind. The campus is still there, but it's no longer King of States. It's right behind Howard Elementary School. And so I said, let's say there are cuts and trails there. So another thing we defected into people like having sex, like actually like during school hours, mm-hmm. like taking certain girls to the trails like it was listen it was going down it like was it down. was going down like in a major way and this was the 90s and HD so, real out there i'm saying fam so it was the 90s and so it was just like lit like all the stuff was happening and so with that um i am naturally a i'm a smart guy yeah, like yeah, yeah. in elementary school i was a gay kid mm-hmm. and um i went to an elementary school that was you know, intelligence was celebrated. Mm. Like if you, you know, you got certain privileges and props. If you, you know, did well in school, in junior high school, that was like, if you got good grades, which I did, you wanted to hide that. And I did hide it when I got good grades. And I, um, eventually I ended up not getting good grades because I was, I wanted to kind of hang with the crew a little bit, mm. whatever. I just became a, a, a victim of, a victim of wanting to fit in, I suppose. And I was made to feel ashamed of my intelligence, mm. which is a dangerous thing, right? I was I was made to feel like because I'm intelligent, I'm not black. Oh, right, like 
I'm a sellout because I get good mm-hmm. grades. You weren't supposed to do that, right? It's like a different narrative that you were playing. Totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I internalized that, mm-hmm. right? I was like, if you if you get good grades, that's acting white. This is how brainwashed we were at this time in our lives. Like, it was very bad. So you asked about high school. I brought that mentality into high school, even though I told myself when I get to high school, the skyline is up on the hill and all this opportunity, I'm going to change. But I just had so many negative. I was at that point, I was conditioned to. I didn't I no longer knew what it took to be successful in a classroom Mm. because I developed so many bad habits. Right. So I was saying, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to turn it all around. But I didn't have enough like uh, and, and it was a lot harder had kids coming from Montera and uh, Edna Brewer, and mm-hmm. they were just well prepared for it, and I just wasn't. So um, I did play sports and everything like that. Um, you know, I was I was hanging out in the hallways. Uh, what do we call it? Uh, who riding? Who riding? <laughs> who riding? <laughs> the nineties. I was who riding? Um, uh, clowning. Smashing, ranking, whatever, roasting people. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, yeah. Like, all that type of stuff. Oh, look at this boy haircut. Ah. Like, just all <laughs> right? Like, all the stuff, right? Um, I wasn't handling business in the classroom consistently. And I'll give myself credit. Yeah. You know, you're a poet. I do some writing. So the English, the literature, we could write. I was with that. Oh, the history, I was with that. And the math and the science... My brother, my brother, I, whew, I couldn't catch up, bro. Like the math, math specifically, was like if you miss one year of math, then you're gonna have a hard time catching up, and that's exactly what happened to me. So, uh, by the time I finished high school, I had an accumulative, oh man, two point three or something mm. like that GPA, which I suppose it could be, it could be worse. But that's definitely not enough to get you into any UC. Yeah. I didn't apply to any UCs. Uh, that wasn't enough to get me to in, into any state schools. Mm-hmm. And it was embarrassing and I was ashamed and I was already insecure. Um, because by the time graduation happened, I had a cousin. He played sports. I played football as well. He was better than me. <laughs> he was better than me. Uh, he got a scholarship to the University of Nevada, Nevada mm-hmm. Reno. Um, there were other guys on the team. One had gotten a scholarship to Fordham University, which is in New York somewhere. Um, Fresno State, whatever. So people got scholarships. Um, a homegirl that I'd had, she had gotten into Stanford. People are getting into all these schools. And for the people that didn't get into these schools, like they would say, oh, well, I'm just going to go to Cal State East Bay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they would, whatever, talk down on that. But like, it's a... It's a huge, it's, a, it's an accomplishment to get in anywhere, and it's not about the college, it's about what you do with it. Yeah. But I didn't get into any of those schools. So that was just like, I didn't get into East Bay. I got rejected from uh, Cal State Stanislaw. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Stanislaw was like, you're not Stanislaw material, brother. Like, no. There yet. Right? Okay. Yeah, no, no. And then my SAT score, and I put it out there, especially if you have youngsters yeah. listening, uh, I got an 870 on the SAT. Mm. 520 verbal, 350 math. Mm. A 350 in math is not gonna. That's not gonna do it for you, brother. That's not gonna. I gotta cut it. But that's what I got. 
my mentality was such, people was like, oh, you can take it again, and boo. I was like, nah, I'm good. I was just like, so, I don't, I don't want to take it again. I just don't, you know? I wound up at a community college. Mm. Um, I wound up at a community college. There was a stigma associated with a community college then. I'm sure it is now. That was that was my follow-up question. Like, yeah. that's the stigma about community college. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you go to a community college, it's like you already fell. Like you yep. fell in the mud. So yep. please dive in. It was hard, and it was there, and I had people living. I, I use the term the way I was thinking a real college experience. Mm. Like they were going to the parties and they were pledging and. You know, you go into the, the football games and big old stadiums and doing all that stuff. And I was trying to get my units together. Mm. <laughs> Look, it was so, so, uh, and then a lot of people, it, it's, the, so they had this joke. Um, whereas they were just like, oh, you going to UCLA? Ah, talking um, about Laney okay, College, okay. right? So people would crack jokes and everything. And then there was a lot of people, there was a good number of people from my high school. And like you said, it was like, oh, these are the people that didn't get anywhere and they're not smart enough or good enough. And, and you know, the dummies and all, like yeah, all this yeah. negative stuff, right? And I felt that. Like, yeah. I was just like, dang. You know, like, um, I kept comparing myself unfavorably to other people. Mm. I wasn't yet focused on my own journey and what's best for me. Mm. Ultimately, I found out community college was the best thing for me because community college is um, it's a second chance. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like a second chance. Everyone loves a second yeah. chance. So that fight that I had gotten to in, in the ninth grade, I left that part out. But the fight, the fight that I had gotten into in the ninth grade, the fight that I had gotten to in the 11th grade, the times when I was, you know, uh, experimenting with certain things yeah. in, in, in school and the classes... Um, that I didn't attend and all that. Like, none of that mattered. Mm-hmm. None of that mattered. It's just like, okay, clean slate. Right? And so I took that and then I had to pay for my own classes. Mm-hmm. That was another thing. I was working at a grocery store, bagging groceries mm-hmm. for like over a year. They never promoted me to checker. That's why they went out of business. Hey, Albertsons. Shout you know, out. Al- yeah, shout, shout out. out Albertsons. That's why y'all didn't make it. <laughs> Lucky's coming through. I'm saying. Uh, that's no. why Lucky smashed on Smash y'all. Out. If y'all would have promoted me, I might have been able to do something. Make a move. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe, man, I was down there, the place where uh, Planet Fitness is now on okay. my Comfort oh, Boulevard. Okay. It was the grocery, yeah, it was the grocery, it was the grocery store, store there. Store right there. And I was bagging groceries. If you came through, you see me, you know what I'm saying, with the little baby fro twisties bagging groceries, you know? Okay. Being disrespected because whatever. The job, the manager was a jerk. Survival mode. Yeah, sur- survival, survival mode. We're trying to get it. Trying to get it. Trying to get it. I trying mean, to escalate. And, trying to escalate. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And getting it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I did I did what I had to do. I made enough to pay for college. Mm. I made enough. And it was, listen, community college was a lot cheaper then. Yeah, I'll say yeah, that. Yeah. But I stacked my dough up enough. Um, I wasn't blowing it in dice games. Mm. I wasn't blowing it at the liquor store. I was buying that. I would blow it on Jordans, but yeah. that's—I need to work on that. But you know, okay. So there was that. So I—I I, I did that, and and, and I grinded and grinded, and uh, I began to really, really, really apply myself in math. I still struggled, but mm. I talked to the instructor, went to the office hours, was in his face, um, and I had to pass three math classes. I was sitting in the front of the class, and um, ultimately. 
ultimately I ended up transferring mm. and I transferred to, to UC Berkeley. I was admitted into UC Berkeley okay. as a junior. Out of high school, like I said, I, I, I didn't get in, I didn't get in any school in the state of California. Mm. Coming out of high school, I told you I didn't even apply to a UC, but I got grown and I got serious about it and I applied myself, and I ended up getting accepted into into that school. And so it was it was a hard journey. Um, it was it was um, it was rough, but I, I wanted to do something. It meant a lot to me. Mm. I wasn't going to let anything stand in my way. So, so that's what happened with the college thing. Yeah. That's the amazing story. Now, now tell us about your current situation, what you do uh, right after college. Like, what makes you take this career path? You know, so, so, so I'm a, I'm an English literature professor at community college. Shut right? up. <laughs> <laughs> at a, at a community college here in the Bay Area in Oakland. So, um, how that happened? And I'm tenured, by the way. But how, how this whole thing went down, my career path started in high school. I went to Skyline. I don't live in Skyline's district. I live in Deep East Oakland. How did that happen, right? There was a, a program called the Future Teachers Academy. Mm. And so they were like, okay, we'll let kids in from other districts, but you have to be in this program. Where basically we groom you to be teachers because we need more teachers from this area. Mm -hmm. We need more teachers that look like the students, mm -hmm. right? To foster that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so we were a crew and we had people from all, all parts of Oakland, but we had Latinos, African Americans, Filipinos. We had like, everybody in this core group of like 30 mm -hmm. kids. And um, we took all these classes together and we grew together and so anyway so they would teach us yeah. how to write lesson plans 10th and 11th grade mm. we would have a, a a lab not a lab class but like a um I, I can't remember the name of it but we would have a class called future teachers we would get graded for it it's a class we actually took and we would teach 15 minute lessons 30 minute lessons whatever and um it definitely, uh, it said, okay, this is something I could do. Now, my passion then and now was writing, right? But I was like, okay, but the teaching thing is something I could do if I need to. I got out of high school. I got this job paying $15 an hour. Mm. Now. And that, that, was, that was back. So check it out, right? So that's like minimum wage now, yeah. right? I think minimum wage yeah. is around 15 Yeah. So at that time, minimum wage was like 575. Hey, balling. <laughs> balling. So I'm saying. So I was getting 15 an hour working for a program called Project Soar. I don't okay, know if you okay. remember Project yeah, 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 Soar. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Project. At, at a Cal State East Bay. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even let me in, but whatever. Um, so I was working at the program and I was making this money. So that was my first real job mm. as a teacher. And I made enough to, you know, buy new Jordans. And then okay. <laughs> and then on top of that, um, you know, kind of uh, support myself through through um, my first year of college and all that type of stuff. So that was my first year. From then, I got jobs at like Upper Bound, and I used to work at Lockwood Elementary School okay. after school program. I did a lot. Uh, a substitute. I was a substitute teacher for way too long, and then I ended up uh, somebody uh, that I known, a colleague of mine. Well, she wasn't a colleague at that time, but. Basically, I used to do this thing around, or I used to have this thing called Soulful, 
where I used to get lo local artists and writers together and present and perform mm. their stuff. And so a woman there was inspired by it because she was working at a community college full time and she was trying to transition into the art world. Mm. And I was working, um, I was like a starving artist at the time. Mm. I didn't want to starve no yeah. more. Like, I wanted, like, a regular paycheck because... That full meal, that full meal. Exactly. And it wasn't even about me, but I had I had a daughter at this time. Mm. When I was in college, I had a daughter, too. And so it's like, fam, so my daughter's old enough to answer, ask questions like, Daddy, you know, my friends, they go to the dentist, you know? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. why have I never been to the dentist? It's like, yo, like, we don't have benefits. Like, ah! So all this stuff is kind of, you know, getting about yeah, 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 my, yeah, yeah. my masculinity yeah, and all this messing stuff. with everything yeah, yeah because i'm just like damn like oh i can't provide the way that my mom provided for me and so she was just like listen i'm about to take some time off um from the community college so i know they're hiring because not only am i leaving but i know someone else is going to mm. take some time off as well you might want to look into that i said what but listen, for all the youngsters listening, I didn't just say, you know, just leave it at that. Like, okay, for sure. I said, okay. I said, tell me the name of the person I need to reach out to, and I need their email. Name dropping. Name dropping. Give me that name. Make it specific. Because I don't want to just apply like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like, if you know somebody, I want to get directly to the person that can get, that, that can put me on. That source. Right? Exactly. I want to get to the source. I want to get to the plug. You mm -hmm. feel me? <laughs> so, <laughs> plug, yeah. I'm saying. And so, she gave me that info. Mm -hmm. I, I submitted. And mm -hmm. once again, for all my young people, I didn't just submit and go on about my business and say, oh, they're not even fooling with me. I waited whatever it was, two, three, four, five, I wait, maybe five days, maybe a week. And I followed up. Mm. Said, hey, you know, such and such told me that you guys were hiring. I was wondering, how was the process going? And they said, okay, for sure. They didn't say for sure. That's not <laughs> But they said, they said, Town right. talk, town yeah, talk. Yeah, town talk, sure. town talk. Now, mind you, yeah. this is like about a week before the semester mm. starts. And so they were just like, can you come in tomorrow for an interview? Ooh. Hell yeah! <laughs> like, it's the chance. Like, yeah, it's the I know. Like, I, yeah. I'm saying though, like, yeah. look, let me go out and buy a collar shirt or something like that. <laughs> let me buy some church clothes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I can be ready for this interview. I did that. I went there, and um, I, you know, they they liked me. They hired three people. They needed people fast, mm. and so you know, it worked out in my benefit. Yeah. And I was there, and I showed up, and and I ended up getting that job. Um, and so from then on out, it was just like me grinding, me setting my part, self apart from everyone else mm -hmm. in order to be hired full time. And so here I am. Escalate. Yeah. Escalate. Yeah, fam. It's beautiful. Never continue. Never content. That's an amazing story. Um, now, I just want to jump into one of the yeah. one of the issues that, that out here in Oakland as educators, right? Yeah. Uh, and definitely as students, we see this division of, of race, yes. um, socioeconomical status. Um, but mainly, like, me coming to this country at the age of 10, 
Uh, listen to episode one. That's who am I? That's my that's my story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, coming to this country at the age of ten, it was a culture shock around race, right? Right. Around how we navigate that space, right? Especially when you are a person of color, especially when you're African American, and there are sports that just are spitted out by people without knowing the context of it. And I feel like some people just take that as like it's a negative impact to my culture, myself being. Mm-hmm. But when you are in Oakland, yeah, some words have a different meaning. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I'm pretty sure you're referring to the N word, yes. right? So it's 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 so, complex. I just want to name it. It's very complex. complex. It's tough. It's hard uh, because I think a lot. So there's the universality of that word mm-hmm. to the point where. In Oakland, but in a lot of places, I used to be a substitute teacher in San Lorenzo. Oh, okay. The Mexican kids use that word more than the black mm-hmm. kids. Let me tell you why. Because the black kids were conditioned to... They know that it's a curse word. It's mm-hmm. a word that you use anyway, but if certain people are around, you wouldn't say that. The Mexican kids were not aware of that. They're just like, oh, my favorite rapper says it all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I listen to, you know, Future or, or you know, whoever, Yo, Yo Gotti or whoever. Like, they always use that word. And so, and then my friends use it all the time. And so, it's, it's the source of the pain is, is not, they don't know about it. Now, I will say this. I mean, no one should be using it. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. I'm a minority amongst minorities. Mm-hmm. Because you can hear great minds like Dave Chappelle, yep. the great writer Zora Neale Hurston was just like, yo, we use this. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zora Neale Hurston, if you guys aren't familiar with her, read, you know, their eyes are watching God. And, and Shout out, we read that in class. Shout out Zora, how it feels to be colored me. There she was an go. anthropologist, educated woman, super, um, super skilled as a writer and as a truth speaker. She had, when she moved to Harlem for the Harlem Renaissance, there were these kind of artistic, bougie African-Americans. In her time, I don't want, not necessarily bougie because she wasn't bougie, Mm. but artistically, intellectually inclined African-Americans. And her name for them was the Niggerati. That's what she came Mm. up with, right? In jest, right? You know, and she's from the South and all that was called that and all that, Mm. right? So... You know, a lot of great minds, you know, are, are for it. But I'm like, listen, it's one thing to use it if we all sitting around a table playing dominoes, drinking Hennessy. Mm-hmm. But if you know that there's a crowd around you that is not, you know, African-American, you shouldn't say that because you know what your grandmother went through. You know, somebody somewhere along the lines like, don't use that word. I got checked so hard in elementary school. Mm for using that word. Um, I was talking to my friend, Sean Scott, God bless the dead, but he was murdered on the streets of Oakland in 2006. Um, No, it was 2005. That was Christmas 2005 when Sean was killed. So at any rate, but we were kids in elementary school, like the fourth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade. And he was asking me to answer to something. And uh, (laughs) we were in Mr. Wall's class. And I told him, it's on the board, N-word, mm-hmm. right? But of course I said it. The teacher said, what? What did you say? Don't you ever say that? Just, just made me feel. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, 
elementary school, I'm a good kid, yeah, yeah, right? I'm a I'm an honor roll kid. kid. I'm a gay kid, kid and all yeah, this stuff, right? Yeah. And so he made me feel like I felt, I'm sorry. And this was around the time Malcolm X, the yeah, movie was out and all that. It was just like, oh my God. It was a little after Malcolm X came came out, but still. So, you know, my mom hated for us to use. My mom's from the South, man. Mm. She she came up in segregation. Mm. Um, she's from Arkansas, mm, okay, you know? Okay, And so um, she came from, she comes from a town where, it's, of course, it's like, well, not of course, but it is predominantly yeah. white. And, you know, if she went outside of the boundaries of the colored section of town, she so would get called that as a little girl. The, for Halloween, the white kids used to roll through town and throw eggs and stuff at the black kids for fun every single year. So she stopped trick-or-treating when she was real young because she knew that that was the custom, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, racism was very real for her, and she hates that word. She never uses that word, and I came up in her household. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the pain that it caused her and the pain that it caused my ancestors. And it is, you can try to flip it however you yeah, want yeah, yeah. to, and we do, but it's internalized racism. It's internalized hatred. That's what it is. And I can compare that to girls using the term, the, the B word. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a bad B. This is my B right here. B, stop playing. It's the same thing. It's internalized misogyny. That's what it is. Mm. And you can try to flip it as much as you want to, but at the core of it, that's what it is. So, um, that's... That's my take on it. As far as other races using it, I can't front. I'm not gonna sit up here and be like, don't, don't, don't use it around me. Yeah. I, I legit like, I don't like when people use it around mm-hmm. me. But I'm not. If I checked, if every time I heard someone of my race or someone from another race using that word, I would be in jail. Mm. I would just have all kind of charges. Yep. I would have. It just happens so much like back to back back to back like it's it's just like so prevalent in all these spaces like it's it's and i i blame it on the music industry mm. <laughs> i blame it on that that was my my next question was like what do you blame that openness to talk that way and to just use it with that freedom right so i blame it on the music industry not just the artist but the people who are controlling the songs, the people that run the labels who are not black mm. and who control what songs get greenlit, what's the single, um, what songs make the album, what songs don't. Because when they want to shut something down, they can they shut, shut something down. down. They can shut the whole artist down. They can shut the whole artist down. They can shut the whole word down. Mm. In the 90s, there was a lot of what we call homophobia now. But it was, it wasn't even a word for it back then. So in hip hop, it was normal. Mm-hmm. The the F word, this mm-hmm. derogatory term yep. towards homosexuals, it was used by everybody from DMX to Ice Cube. Every, like everyone used that word. And so, ultimately, what ended up happening is there was a pushback, and they were saying, "You're not going to use that word anymore, right?" And they shut that down. Your favorite rapper does not have that on. Does not have that. No matter how many girls that he pimps on the album, no matter how many people he kills on the album, no matter how many N-words, no matter how many Bs, that term is not on the album. They can shut things down when they want to, mm-hmm. right? But the N-word, oh, we're just going to let that one slide, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I blame that. And then I blame, I, I do 
hold the artists accountable too. 70% of the people that buy hip hop music aren't black. Most of them are white. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you aren't talking directly to your people, then why are you using these terms that are supposed to be whatever terms of endearment like within a certain culture? Every culture has those terms yeah, of yeah, endearment. Yeah, for sure. But I think other cultures keep it within tight. their keep it tight within yeah, their yeah, culture. Yeah. And like so with, with, with hip hop that's just not happening. You know, that doesn't happen. And so I think that's just the main culprit. Period. Just pimping, pimping the community, pimping that piece of like language and like culture. All pieces of the language. <laughs> when it comes to my culture, yeah, 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 yeah. like everything is yeah, being pimped. Pimp everything. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my goodness, I don't want to like reel me in if yes, you need please, to reel me back please. in. This is real Anka yeah. Noche Galactica. We're like once again with Boeta. Ghetto Sun. Ghetto Sun in the building. You know, Oakland, California stand up. So, you know, um, as far as the culture being pimped out, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's troubling and it's, it's hurtful um, that you would take someone who is poor, selling dope, starving from the streets, and say, we're going to make you a millionaire. And even just as shady as the record business is, period, across all genres. But this person takes that deal and is like, we want you to be authentic. We want you to be rough. We want you to be raw. <laughs> you know, talk about the streets. And this person is probably peddling dope, you know, making, what, 100 a day. Mm -hmm. nothing major. This is not the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, on record, he's a kingpin, you know. Um, moving bricks. Moving bricks. You Connection know down to Columbia. Ex all this stuff. <laughs> all this stuff. All this stuff, fam. For real. Plug life. Like, well, no, plug walk. I'm at the plug walk. Like the whole thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going directly to the source. The whole, the whole so, fantasy. You know. The whole Scarface fantasy. American like, music. Exactly. The whole thing. The whole thing, right? He's going to Vietnam <laughs> riding mules and with dope. And, the whole fantasy is being played yeah. out, right? Pure. pure. Exactly, Here. right? And not just that, but with the women, I got I got these X, women. Y, I'm pimping. Yeah, I'm pimping every day. Mm -hmm. You better have my money. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? I never tell her I love her. This, that, the other. And she's super yeah, yeah. bad. She twerking for me mm -hmm. every day, all Trap night. Trap house. Everything, right? You know? Now, myself being the age that I am now, and I listen to hip-hop. I don't want that to get lost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm super big. The things that I'm like, I've referenced Future in a negative way before. Yeah. I fool with the music of Future, and that's it's a guilty pleasure because mm. I'm like, it's a fail. If you listen to this song Percocet, Molly oh Percocet, my God. it's it's so that beat is so infectious. Percocet. The beat is a drug, right. Molly Percocet. Percocet. Hey. Like mask on, like oh man, why do I like? Yeah. I should know better. Yeah. I should know better. You think that's programming, though? Yes, yes. of course, <laughs> absolutely. Like, so, but here's the thing, though. But here's the yeah, thing, yeah. though, right? So, me being the age that I am right mm. now, like, I can separate it. The beat is fly. Yeah. The beat knocks. But I know this dude is—he was not really in the streets doing yeah, all this, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I know that he's saying all this about women, but he's married. Like, mm. I know, like, he has a home he's, life. <laughs> yeah, he has a home life, right? Yeah. Or. You know, 
he's got multiple, you know, children by multiple women, and that's just not the life. Mm-hmm. He's being sued for yep. he's being sued for child support payments, whatever. Like I'm old enough to know that now. This is the dangerous part. The dangerous part was when I was 12, mm. when I was 13, when I was 14, and I legitimately thought that it was real because I didn't have a father in the house. Mm-hmm. And so these guys were my surrogate father, mm. right? And so I used to listen to this, and it was I used to think, well, that's really the way that you're supposed to treat a woman. Like, that's really what you're supposed to aspire to be, right, as far as the drug game. I didn't get involved too much in that, but as far as speaking about drugs and criminality and anything like that, because I saw that, like, every single day, like, I thought, man, I'm in the hood. Like, I saw people go to jail, like, all the time. Like, I knew that that was not, I was not built for that. I knew that. But as far as, you know, being unfaithful and pimping and... Not literally pimping, but just being promiscuous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Being a and player. Players being a club. player. Being yeah. a player. <laughs> exactly. And um, just being disrespectful to women. Mm. You know, like not honoring women in general, the, the, the girls in your life. Yeah. You know, um, not honoring, like not humanizing them. Mm. Right? Like I really thought that that was the way to go for a long time. It took, it's, it's, I'm still in a process of unlearning Mm. all of those things that I was taught, like, um, through, you know, I don't, I don't even want to say any names necessarily at this point, but like all the hot rappers of the nineties, especially coming out of the Bay. Okay. Everybody was on some pimp this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Hoes down, uh, you know, I'm a player, a certain rapper. I don't want to say his name right now. But he 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 had this rhyme with just like um, basically because it's like I never I never go on dates. Mm. I don't go on no date. I just invite her to the telly. Woody woo woo woo. And, and so me and my twelve year old brain, I was just like, oh, that's I'm secret not, sauce. Yeah, I'm not I'm not supposed to I'm not supposed to be taking no chick out to no movies or nothing like that. I'm supposed to ask them to come to my house, mm. right? And which is like so detrimental to the brain, to the developing brain of a young boy. And I tell you this last story, yeah. I was in seventh grade. I had me this little girlfriend. Okay. Shout out. Shout out to her, Tina. I'll say her name. She's married now with a gang of kids by the same guy. God bless her. Her husband used to cut my hair. She's doing really well okay. right now. But at that time, she was my little okay. girlfriend. Yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. me? And, um, Valentine's Day came up. Mm. And I remember being in a predicament, being torn because <laughs> I said, I should buy her something, but I don't wanna buy her anything because I don't want us to be like, I'm saving her. Ooh, okay. Like I'm saying, I don't wanna spend no money on this girl. We talking about just basic candy and, and she was a real she was like my girlfriend yeah. you know what I mean and I was just like dang what should I do I'm calling my brother I'm calling should I should I and it's just like wow you create an atmosphere mm-hmm. where an adolescent boy is afraid to fall in love he's afraid of love he's steering clear from love because love is for suckers love is harmful think about all the ways in which that stunts one's growth and that creates a negative dynamic between him and the girls that look just like him. It's totally toxic. And all this is being manipulated by the people at the top. Because mm-hmm. before that, it was a conscious wave of hip hop. Yeah. Arrested development. 
MC Breed, ain't no future in your fronting. He's talking about, you leave it up to me, I paint the White House black, mm. ain't no future in your fronting. And all this kind of, the X-Clan, mm. right? Um, even Tribe and all these people are, are, are speaking black consciousness and mm -hmm. things to uplift the... Even the players like like Too Short would have conscious records on his album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And then you're just like, nah, we're going to turn this down and we're going to promote all this... Uh, sexualized. Sexualized playerism, poor, pouring Cristal on a girl, mm -hmm. you know, slapping her on the butt, this, that, the mm -hmm. other. Um, the, the women aren't going to be women anymore. They're going to be, be... And yeah, that was a formula to make party music to make party music for basically white suburban kids because it wasn't real to them and it negatively impacted the way that they looked at black women. Mm. Similarly, similarly to Motown, because the Motown sound, Smokey Robinson and everything mm -hmm. like that, they're just like, um, the way you do, the things you do, and all the things yeah. like, oh, party music. Detroit was going through race riots at the time, white flight, abject poverty, criminality. No one talked about that until Marvin Gaye came out with what's going on. Because mm -hmm. they were just like, do the monkey, do the monkey. They, was making, they were making all this, this, this party music for white people because Barry Gordy saw that that's where the money is. Sell out. Yeah. Yeah, just give them the good parts, the happy things about our mm -hmm. culture. Let them buy in. And then that leaves us with no authentic voice that represents our pain and represents our struggle mm -hmm. in a real way. The same thing happened with hip hop. It's the same formula. And so um, and so when I see that, it's just, just really sad because I'm like, look, kids are being brainwashed. Not just the boy, but the girl has been like, oh, it's okay if he calls me, you know. If I get treated name, this way. Right? If I get treated this way, if he refers to me as this, like, it's okay. That's what he's supposed to do. And so we're all being brainwashed so many people are profiting from it but all we get is 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 are the negative side effects of it so yeah. that is deep that is deep uh when you talk about like black conscious right mm -hmm. when you talk about rappers hip-hop yeah. all this yeah. different stuff where do you think it stopped or do you think there's still some out there lingering around i mean there's definitely on the ground happening yeah. Yeah, when we yeah. talk about hip-hop but i'm talking about you like connecting to like that's where i saw like the downfall of all that when when did the downfall happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you know what? Shout out Kendrick Lamar. I want to say that. Shout out. <laughs> shout out. I'm a, I'm a Kendrick fan. There are definitely some 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 conscious. J Cole. Shout out J Cole. Absolutely. Um, he's the guy. And even even like some people that 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 speak grimy stuff, they they can speak some realistic stuff too. Um, so the kid. Well, Nipsey. R.I.P. Nipsey. Yep. Of course. He, shout out. He mixed both of them and it was actually doing things. Um, so, you know, there, there is that. I never dismissed the whole thing, right? Um, there's righteous people, there's conscious people out there trying to do their thing right now. If you ask me about when the flip happened, I would say Dr. Dre, the chronic, the first chronic, mm. the first chronic with nothing but a G thing. Nothing but a G thing. And nothing but a G thing. Um, there was a song um, on that album called uh, "Let Me Ride," and it was a it was a swing down sweet chariot and let me ride. So yeah, so okay. so Google the lyrics to that song. When basically he was just like, um, 
I'm gonna have to paraphrase it because I like I don't have the lyrics in front of me. But he was just like, no dreadlocks, no this, no 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 that, just that gangster sound and that gangster. So he made he came out with some bars, but he intentionally well. Yeah, he intentionally and deliberately kind of said, all that old conscious backpacking stuff is over. It's just gangster here. And he had a billion dollar team behind him. Mm. So when the LA, when, and I don't, I don't even want to say LA because you had not, not all LA, but when the gangster thing happened with Trey and everybody out of death row, Mm -hmm. that whole camp, it was just like, okay, it's the gangster thing nationwide, right? You had before, you had Ice Cube, man. Ice Cube came out with a song. Uh, Ice Cube had a group called The Lynch Mob. Mm-hmm. The Lynch Mob came out with a song called Gorillas in the Mist. Mm-hmm. But they was talking about being black gorillas, like gorillas in the mist, right? Talking about taking people out. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy um, used to used to speak to, you know, uh, the whole conscious revolutionary vibe. Yep. Arrested Development came out with a song called Revolution. Revolution, all my people say revolution. All my brothers say revolution. All my sisters say revolution. Once Dre came out with that, it was just like all the conscious stuff. But it wasn't just him, though. One person can't do that, but the whole industry industry was just like, we're going to invest in this. Now, the industry's not black. The industry's not Latino. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No. Like, they are straight up white. There are conspiracy theories that say that there was an actual meeting that they had. Oh, and they were just like... Gangsta's the new hip. Right. Because it's, 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 it's profitable and it's not dangerous to the establishment. Um, it can dangerous. serve a better purpose out in the U.S. Because now you have black and brown kids killing each other with music that they listen to. Yes. In programs, oh my god, man, like it's crazy. I, I'm, I'm related. Some people's, some rappers' names I want to say, and some <laughs> like I don't. It's dangerous. It, it, it just got really slippery slope. It's slip. It's a slippery slope. But it was some. I look back on some of the records that I used to listen to. I had no business listening to that, mm. and I knew all the words to the whole CD. It's bad, man. So, so I would, I would say. To put an actual year on it, around '94, mm. that's when the whole conscious, the whole backpacking, whatever she keeps on passing me, mm. by, like all that type of stuff. That no, we just doing gangsta. Period. I would say around '93. No, it was before. It was like '93. I would say around '93. Google when the Chronic first came out. Mm. I would say after that, it was gangsta for a long. And time. it became real gangsta when you have the East Coast, West Coast. <sighs> God, which was a few years later. Yeah, 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 yeah that was yeah, just yeah, a few yeah. years later. And so now people are dying over records that they make. Like in real life, your favorite rapper really just got killed. You know, it was just like, whoa. So, um, yeah, bro. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is absolutely. I, yeah, just putting out the plug. When I came to the States at the age of 10, the first mm-hmm. rapper I listened to was Tupac. Yeah. Right? And I went all my life just thinking, Tupac, wow, what a revolutionary hip hop artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, when I turned 22, I went down to Peru. Yeah. I go to Peru and I see Tupac name everywhere, blasted everywhere. And I'm just 
trying to learn the history of this Tupac. Uh-huh. I'm like, my vision of Tupac was African-American rapper, you know, speaking knowledge, you know, yeah. from Cali. Brooke was born in New York, but came to California. Oh, that was Tupac for me. Right. Pushed it down to uh, South America. I came to uh, learn that Tupac was an Inca warrior. Yep. That fought the Spaniards and was just about... This is my this is my my territory. Yep. Spaniards are not going to come in here and take my gold. Mm-hmm. Now to connect that mm-hmm. to Pac's mom, yep. who was woke AF, yep. to make An that actual name, Black Panther, yeah, yep. actual Black Panther movement, mm-hmm. you know, and she connect that. To me, that's just like organic. It's just the universe connects right. cultures, you know, it connects the the resistance. It just connects everything around like two different cultures just coming together right that was that was like mind-blowing to me absolutely and a lot of people don't know that yeah you know a lot of just just tupac yeah i'm like yo you know the the name mm-hmm. the name tupac is connected to like latin america absolutely absolutely and so like that whole universal grassroots struggle but um that the panthers were about because mm-hmm. the panthers work with brown berets yep you know, um, the Panthers work with all kinds of, even like the Weather Underground, which was like a revolutionary white group. Mm. Like they work with a lot of people, bro. In America, in the 60s, they were really trying to overthrow capitalism. They were really trying to overthrow the government. And when we think about like political unrest, we always um, associate it with another country. We associate it with the Sudan, we associate it um, with the Arab Spring, and we associate it with these other places, but imagine it was happening right here in the States. Your backyard. Absolutely, bro, absolutely. And so, yeah, that indigenous culture, all of that, man, you pull from all revolutionaries everywhere in order to um, in, in order to just draw from that strength. So, absolutely, yeah, that's that's a dope point. That, that was powerful, that was powerful to me, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just want to bring you back to, like, you as an educator, right? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of keys, uh, knowledge of wisdom, and you're yeah. just dropping tokens. Yeah. And I definitely see people of color working in education. Sometimes we're used as a TOP, which I like to call tokens of power, right? Tokens of power because we're put in situations where we either gotta help out, get the white person, get the money, the money to like establish some sort of stuff, or you just the voice, but the voice doesn't really matter when it's actually happening. So. What are some? What are Lord some, have mercy. What are some? Start something up here. What are some dimes you can just flip up in the air and be like, "This is is this is gonna help you in your journey as a young learner in East Oakland, West Oakland." I, I would say the lake too, but it's becoming super gentrified. I oh can afford God. to live there. Absolutely. If you can't, man, check yourself. But <laughs> just drop some tokens of like, you got to navigate this space because it's going to happen. If, you, if you're a person who is black, Latino, brown, Asian, you know, you're going to have to navigate this space. Yep. So talk to me. How to not sell out. How to not be a token. Please, How to don't, not be, be a token. don't be a token <laughs> of power. How to not be a token of power, bro. Like this, this is, this is triggering for me, man. <laughs> no, this is, this is. It's uh, true. I'm going, through, can, I'm going we, through so much right now. Uh, like, so the question: How do you not become a token? Never forget. Just because you are from the barrio, you are from the hood, mm-hmm. flatlands, East Oakland, West Oakland, wherever you come from, don't you have values? The values that you have, that you. We're taught growing up through the people in your neighborhood, 
and who gets respect and who doesn't and how do you conduct yourself in certain situations and how you don't to survive or just to get home, never forget that you have more integrity than any of these people coming from these other places that you will have to work with. This is like, it's almost like job colonialism. So they'll try to get you to believe that the way that they do things at the job, and you're, you know, you might be getting benefits, right? Like, ooh, I got benefits, I've arrived. And so naturally you're gonna do what you can to keep that job. But they'll bring you in and they'll say, okay, if you want these benefits, the price for these benefits is your soul. Mm. You have to retain something for yourself. Now, let me get back to this point I was trying to make earlier. You have integrity in the hood. You have integrity in your culture. Take that with you, right? Know that people aren't going to talk to you a certain kind of way, that you aren't going to be here to gatekeep, to keep the other people that look like you out. Don't let anyone say, oh, you're the cool Mexican guy. You're the cool black guy. You're the cool Mexican woman, so on and so forth, right? You are representing, you're representing for yourself, but then at the same time, it's like, so for example, let me just use some examples. Like, I come from a place where if you had a wrong person's name in your mouth, it could just get you killed. Like, to be straight, like, you're talking behind someone's back, you get caught talking behind someone's back. When they catch you, there's going to be a problem. So you don't do that. You don't say anything behind someone's back that you would not say to their face because you're going to have to deal with that person sooner or later, right? In corporate culture and job culture, everyone does that. Like, that is the norm. Nasty. (laughs) It's it's way more malicious than the neighborhood that you are in now, the neighborhood that you're growing up. Trust me, if you don't remember anything else I said, remember that. The corporate structure, the corporate workplace, and that culture is way more malicious and dangerous than any ghetto in America. Mm, I heard that. Period. Because they... It's intentional. It's intentional, and you develop bonds and kinships towards you talking about this person behind this person's back and trying to undercut them if you try to approach them, hey, I heard you were talking about that. It's like, <gasps> you're not supposed to do that. They, they're afraid. Now it's you're the, the etiquette. That's not the etiquette. So now you're a dangerous person and they're going to fight. So the culture is you're supposed to talk behind someone's back and try to do it that way. Don't confront anyone, which is totally opposite in the hood. If you yep. have a problem with somebody, you would address them, Pull right? Up. Pull up. Pull up. Mm-hmm. Like, what's up? I heard, you know, whatever, right? In this place, you get fired, you get alienated, like that. So it's so backwards, and so you end up asking yourself, is this worth it? Mm. it how far am I willing to go? How much am I willing to give to retain these benefits? Mm. Right? And you have to have that, that, and it's very difficult. I'm not gonna front like it's easy. It stressed you out. It stresses you out because you realize your otherness every single day. Ooh. You're like, oh, I come from a totally different place. Like, I was raised with totally different values. It's pure. It's like pure raw. It's uncut. 
Where you come from is like up in your face. Now over here is behind your back. Yeah. With the intent right. to be like right. intentional. Right. To, 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 to take food out of your yeah. mouth. To take food out of your family's mouth. We can do that. We can control you and we're going to do it in this way. But the whole passive aggressive thing, but that's totally in line with white culture. I'm going to put it out there. Please. Right? White culture. Now, people coming from other cultures, like that's totally disrespectful. That could cost you your life. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it's like you have to. I'm using the word have in my mind. I'm just like, do I want to put air quotes around that? English teacher. At, at some point, but like, because I'm, I'm working through it. No, yo, I'm working through it. Like, yeah. like right now. Yeah, it's real. But it's like to us, to a certain degree, it's like you have to be aware of that. And most people, okay. So let me say this: the extent to which you become the gatekeeper or the token, you know, of power. The, yeah, the yeah. token of power is how much do you internalize that truth? Mm. How much are you willing to give up your own culture and assimilate? into the way that people do things knowing that it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are willing to assimilate totally, then guess what? There are trinkets for you. There are raises, promotions, material things. They'll like you. You'll be in the group chat. Get invited to the bars. You'll be one of them, yeah. right? You will be assimilated. Yeah. But if you don't, yeah, you're going to have your integrity, but the road's going to be hard. They're going to make it socially very, very difficult. Solo. Isolation. Yep. Because even even the people that look like you may be afraid to associate with you. Because you care sometimes. Because you care and you're threatening. The idea is to be non-threatening. So on the surface, there's all this diversity. But ideally, we want everyone to be on the same mental bandwidth you know what i'm saying to be same thinking radar, the same like thing everybody to be wants. thinking the exact same thing and that is pro-business everything else pro-capitalism pro-business what's right for the students what may damage the students well we're going to put business first right and you can apply that to any business mm -hmm. period right so you you would have to adapt adapt to that so i i i would say this for me like I'm a problem. Mm. Like, I'm threatening. And this, this is the part that my students, like, would not see. Yeah. But, like, um, behind the scenes, people know how I feel. And if I feel like something is not good for students, I'm not going to go along with something that I don't think is is, is good for students. Mm. They're doing this thing called acceleration, yep. which I told you yeah, guys about. Today. I don't think that's good for students. We'll have a lot of students that are not prepared to take certain classes, but that's what the state wants to do. Mm. And so a lot of people got in line with it because that's what the state they wants. And, that's, and, and if you control the money, you yeah. go where the money goes. We're, yeah, and we're just like, and the state can be like, well, we're going to cut off funding if you guys aren't with it. Most people, most rational people, my friends and colleagues are like, well, it's coming down from the state. We have to do it, right? I'm not most people. I'm just like... F the state. The state, the state, this is the same state that has sanctioned ghettos from, you know, the top to bottom. This is the same Segregation. state. Segregation. 
This is the same state that the farming industry was going down in 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 in, in Saladad and mm-hmm. and uh, Chowchilla and all these places, yeah. and they replaced it with human trafficking yeah. of prisoners. They built prisons all these places of prisoners that look like you and they look like me. And this is the state that condones this and makes money off of this. this. Is the same state that would. Um, make immigrants work for cheaper than anyone else and then in the same breath say but we don't want you here yeah like this is the same so you i'm not aligning myself with the state i'm not getting paid to do like I, you can't pay me to do that yeah. right you can't pay me to do it so i'm like i'm not with it they know i'm not with it mm. right so i can never be that token mm. right i would say this the solution, the grand solution, mm-hmm. is to boss up. Ooh. Is to create your own. Ooh. Please talk about that. The system is going to perpetuate a certain colonizer's mentality yep. all the time. That's what this system is. I, listen, and you're going to get older, you're going to get get jobs, and some of them are going to be real cool. I don't care how many beers they have in a refrigerator, how cool the manager is, whatever. You're perpetuating capitalism right like that's what that's the way the thing is set up right um if you create your own based on your own values then you wouldn't have to assimilate into anyone else's um anyone else's dream and build their dream up you could be building your own dream up and ironically that's where i am like Mm. right now with my life i'm transitioning like right now because it's um it's just lame. I'm not gonna sell my soul. And it I'm feels that way. A problem. It feels that way. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, but it's like, fam, like, I'm not. I'm not going to um, whiten up socially. To I, I'm not gonna play down any aspect of myself to make you feel comfortable. I'm not gonna be less black. I'm not gonna be less of a man. I'm not gonna be less of a person from East mm. Oakland. Now, that's not to say that I can't code switch. Like, I can oh, speak. All day. Yeah, obviously. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, I can speak standard English. I can speak, you know, how Ebonics. I speak. Ebonics. I can speak Ebonics, <laughs> like, the whole thing, right? Like, it's all good. Yeah. Or not even to say that I'm going to come in here, you know, sagging with a with a blunt behind yeah, my yeah, ear. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to do anything like that. But just what I think is important, like, my sense of integrity, right, and how you treat people. I'm not sacrificing that to make you feel more comfortable in the space that I grew up in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, fam. It's like I'm not doing it. That's so, deep. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. Poeta, you know, ghetto son, dropping knowledge, man, it's real. We can be here like all day talking about <laughs> different topics, yeah. you know? But I just wanted, you know, if you got three kind of like key components that you can just drop for the youth and even for grown adults, like this is, this is going to help you. Like educate brown and black folks. Three three things that help yeah, educate three brown things, and black three folks. Things. And it can be outside the educational system. It can yeah. be like in the hood. It can be like because this is what Snowtrick Galactic is about. Just dropping knowledge and wisdom that can help you elevate your game. Yeah, yo, straight up. I would I would say um, knowledge itself is very important. Know that no matter what culture you are, your culture made a contribution to global civilization. Know that. Don't look at anything through a Eurocentric lens, right? So know that you know that you are great and know that you are capable and know that um, the area that you come from, no matter where you come from, even if it's you know drug ridden and violent and all that type of stuff, there are values in that. And there are values in life. 
and don't make it through that to be a slave for someone else's corporation, right? Mm. Don't let anyone else influence what your idea of success is. Don't let the Instagram version of success <laughs> or what we were talking about. I'm a kingpin. I'm yeah. making trips to Columbia mm-hmm. on, a, <laughs> on a jet and coming back full of kilos. Uh, like, yo, man, it's about uplifting your people. It's about knowing that you are great. Um, and it's just about applying that greatness. Mm-hmm. Put yourself first. Put your people first. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if that was three. No, hey, that, that, was, that was a whole <laughs> lot. And I really appreciate your time, mm-hmm. you know, just dropping down and just saying I'm down to have this, this, this conversation. And it's real, uncut, raw conversation that I feel a lot of people in our communities need to hear and, and even outside our communities. Uh, any shout outs you want to give out? Any any perks you want to put out there? Uh, what can they find you? You know, hey, follow, if you feel comfortable with that. <laughs> it's all gravy. Follow follow your boy, boy. I'm at, uh, I'm at Ghetto Sun. G-H-E-T-T-O-S-U-N. That's on Instagram. It's also a blog with the same uh, with the same title there. And yeah, if you want to link up, then um, we can go ahead and, and, and link up from there. I got my uh, my other bloggers on that page and all that type of stuff. So get at me. Don't be afraid. It's all great. Amazing. Once again, this is Noche Galactica. I'm Puerta Galactico. And we have... Get off, son. There we go. Thank you very much. It's all great.